0: Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 213. We're still in Louisville, so this one's coming to you from Kentucky. And it's fitting that 13 would be attached to this episode because we're talking about some paranormal stuff today. My guest is Mike Palmer, and he's part of a group called Paranormal Investigators of Northern Kentucky, or pink. So naturally, he's from Northern Kentucky, and I'm here in Louisville, so we did this one remotely, not remotely. We're here in the same state, but we weren't present in the same room. Now, Mike is a really fascinating guy. He is a paranormal investigator. The group is not a for-profit organization. They do this work to bring peace to people. In fact, they're not out there for notoriety or trying to, you know, sensationalize any of this stuff. They're going, and if they can disprove a, an entity, if they can prove that there's faulty wiring in a house that causes an electromagnetic surge or something physical that's causing the specific phenomenon that a family or an individual is feeling. They'll do that. So he's got some stories where that's the case and he's got many stories where the case turned out to be an entity. This stuff is super, super fascinating to me. I love doing this podcast because I can be here in Kentucky recording about barbecue or bourbon or someone from a band or a paranormal investigator. Now, I know that there are a spectrum of beliefs out there, right? Some folks are going to listen and say, hey, I don't believe any of that. And hey, that's okay. That is your prerogative. I come to these conversations with an open mind. I'm here for the stories. I'm here for the guests and their experiences and the stories from their life. And more and more in my old age, getting older age, someone's turning 35 this year, really coming around to know, or not to know, but to believe that there are a lot of things that we just don't necessarily have an explanation for. And so some of the things that Mike talked about in this episode are things I've heard other folks say that they've had experiences with. And this stuff fascinates me. Mike is really knowledgeable on the subject and he's a really, really great storyteller. So thank you, Mike. I hope all of you enjoy this one. You can go to the show notes and find all about the organization Pink. You can go to the the Facebook page and the website and the YouTube very easily in whatever podcast application you're using. All right, folks. Enjoy this conversation with Mike Palmer. All right. Well, listen. Thank you for for doing this. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to get to talk to you, Mike. So thank you.
1: I appreciate it. I'm glad you glad to have me.
0: Yeah, of course. So you are originally from Indiana. Is that true?
1: Yes. Um, originally from Southeast Indiana,
0: okay, so geographically pretty close to Northern Kentucky, then.
1: Uh, yeah, from where I live now, it's about a sixty minute drive.
0: Oh, okay, not so bad. Um, so did you have any sort of uh, paranormal uh, event early in life, or like how did you get started down this path?
1: So when I was in the third grade, I went to the school book fair, and I saw a book called uh, Real Hauntings, and it was just a little scholastic type paperback, and I bought that book, and I would spend all hours of the night reading that book at night until I was too scared to go to sleep, and uh, that's what got my fascination with the whole subject going.
0: Yeah, what is that? You know, because I used to do that as a kid too. We had those, um, at the Scholastic Book Fairs, you could get those scary stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> Why do we like to be scared?
1: <laughs> uh, I think there's just something in the human nature that lends itself to, uh, we like that start, we like that fright, we like that jolt that it gives us, that, that excitement, that adrenaline rush.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think so. Uh, did you have any... Um, outside of your interest. Did you have any experiences in in your life?
1: Um, Not really. Not growing up in Indiana. Uh, Not until my family moved to Kentucky in October of 1988. was the very first time I had any real experiences. Uh, So the house we bought uh, was located in Dry Ridge, Kentucky. And the first night we spent there was October 31st. Uh, So... Uh, we didn't have any furniture yet and uh, so we were sleeping in sleeping bags on the floors and so you're getting used to this new house and and there were some strange noises some i don't know how to how to explain it some creaks and slams and bangs but you know you're in a new house you kind of expect these sort of things but after a few months you really started to notice that some things just weren't right there in in the house uh one evening uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend stay over, and it was a Saturday night. And we're down in the den, and we're watching the uh, 1966 Batman movie with Adam West.
0: Oh, wow, yeah.
1: And uh, it's about one in the morning, and uh, I'm sitting in an armchair next to the entrance to the, to the den, and my friend is sitting on the couch facing the TV, and all of a sudden this uh, black shadowy cloud about the size of a soccer ball just kind of floats in the room, you know, inches from me. And I'm looking at it out of the corner of my eye and just kind of acknowledging that I see it because I'm thinking, okay, it's 1 a.m. I'm tired. My eyes are playing tricks on me. And then this thing moved down the hallway and disappeared into the darkness down the hallway. And I didn't say anything. And then the next morning, my friend uh, comes up to me and goes, just so you know, I'm never staying the night here ever again. (laughs) And I said, why? And he goes, there was this big black shadowy thing that came into the room and moved down the hallway. And uh, so at that point, I knew that my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, that we'd both seen it. And uh, but we're, you know, I I guess uh, not brave enough to say anything to each other because we didn't want the other to think we were crazy. But uh, there was a lot of things that happened in that house over the years. Did you Uh, from, yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. I was just wondering, like, did you tell your parents about that and what their reaction was?
1: Uh, so my mom has always been open to that sort of stuff. And, uh, she would tell us things, you know, that happened to her when she was a girl or things that she saw. So we could always talk to her about some of that stuff and knew that, you know, we wouldn't be told we were crazy. Uh, but she had her own experiences, uh, with lights coming on. And then, uh, my brother woke up in the middle of the night hearing voices from all sides of this bed. And they said, grab him, grab him now. And he's 18 at this time. And he jumps up out of bed and runs down the hall and gets in bed with my parents. Whoa. So <laughs> He's so scared that he just kind of took off. And, uh, so it wasn't until after I moved out of that house that my dad had his own experience uh, with somebody turning the lights off on him when he was trying to take a shower and after about the third time that this happened he was going to come out and yell at my mom because he thought she was playing tricks on him and when he came out to tell her to knock it off he realizes her car is not in the driveway and she's not even home he's the only one in the house and these light switches were physically flipped so that's when he finally started to Acknowledge, okay, there's stuff going on in this house that, you know, maybe y'all aren't crazy after all.
0: Did you, I mean, at the time, was there a resource for you, like the group that you're a member of, that you, you know, sought help no, from?
1: Uh, no, because, uh, you know, this is pre, pre-internet, pre really. So, I graduated high school in 1995, so I guess I'm kind of dating myself. Uh, but, uh, so, the internet was really new in 95, uh, mm. but there wasn't a whole lot of places you could go. I mean, you could go to the library and check out a book if you knew what kind of book to look for. Uh, but there really wasn't, you know, there's no support structure out there to say, Hey, can somebody help me figure this out? At least not at that time.
0: Do you remember, um, sort of like the role that fear might've played? Like, was everyone in that family scared of this?
1: It depends on what happened. Mm. Uh, it, you know, the the odd, this object, this pencil that I was using was here three seconds ago. Now it's not here. And then you leave the room, you come back, and it's back. Uh, so, you know, those types of things, you know, you kind of chalk it up to, uh, I just wasn't paying attention. I was looking at it the whole time. Mm. So those types of things didn't really scare you. Now, when you're, uh again, sitting down in that den uh playing Sega, and you're the only one down there, and then there's a fingertip at the base of your neck, and it oh goes straight down your spine, and you turn around real quick to yell at one of your brothers and realize there's nobody behind you. Now, that gives you the, gives you a little start, a little trial.
0: So if we're talking about, you tell me if this is a correct definition then. If we're talking about a paranormal experience, it's something that, seems to not be done by a living human and is not necessarily answerable by science? Is that that close?
1: Uh, Yeah, to me, paranormal is anything that doesn't have a logical, physical explanation. So, uh, I mean, it could be anything from ghosts and hauntings to something you see in the sky that's not an airplane or a helicopter or any other satellite, uh, anything like that. So it's something you can't explain. Uh, to me, that's what paranormal is.
0: Okay. Now, naturally, some of these things that that just pop in my mind, uh, maybe you don't have an answer to, but do you have any sort of theory behind, when we're talking about those events in your home, typically I think people would say, "Well, well, that's a ghost or a spirit. Do you have any sort of theory behind what that is? Like, obviously... There's stories like, well, it's a it's a person between life and death who's like refused to move on and needs some closure. Like, do, do you have any sort of indication of what we're um, talking about?
2: So
1: my 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 theory on that is, and it I guess it kind of depends on your your faith, your your theological beliefs. Uh, different people believe different things. If if you believe that uh, man has free will, the believe and do as he chooses uh maybe you still have that free will after death so if there is that light for you to go into you can still make that choice to to go or to stay and uh so i i think that's kind of the prevailing thought for what what people call human spirits or human earthbound entities uh that they for whatever reason didn't decide to do what was expected of them. So they just hung around. Uh, And why do they hang around? It, you know, maybe they're nosy. Maybe they have that prized possession that they want to make sure that nobody messes with, or maybe they're afraid of, you know, uh, some sort of judgment Hmm. and maybe they did something that they weren't particularly proud of. And they're like, "Eh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this. So I don't, and I'm going to stay right here (laughs) and do what I want to do.
0: Naturally, the fear. I think a lot of the fear comes from storytelling and from, from movies and things like that. But have you ever gotten an indication that an occurrence is caused by something like nefarious or evil or, or even attempting to do harm?
1: Um, so, yes. Uh, that's the best way I can describe this. Uh, so like a traumatic event or is that, is that what you're getting at? Like something traumatic that happened that caused somebody to stay or.
0: Yeah. Or, or is, is the, the entity perhaps um, attempting to do, to do harm to somebody, to, to a living person. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, my, my theory with that is uh, personality transcends with you.
2: Mm.
1: So uh, if you're a good person, in, in life and for whatever reason you're still sticking around after you're gone you're still a good person you're you're not purposefully trying to, to scare someone or harm someone uh, but if you're a jerk in life you're still probably a, a jerk in death and uh, so you have the the personality issue but I also believe that uh, energy has something to do with it. Everything needs energy to to move, to transfer, to do whatever. And uh, so what's the easiest way to to get a natural release of energy is to cause that sudden knock or bang or tip something uh, to get that jolt out of that person. Mm. Uh, so you have this natural release of energy. you know so that that scare factor, that fear, Kind of, kind of feeds them a little bit, and they might be more prone to uh, do something to get that rise out of you. Hmm. So, it, it's, I mean, it's all theory. It's not nothing factual. It's just kind of the the leading thought in the field that uh, everything needs energy, even if it's something we can't see or speak to or have physical contact with. You know, I, I think spirits or ghosts still need some form of energy to move about and do what they want to
0: do, do you, Tied to energy, do you have any sort of um, indication or theory that there are people who are more sensitive to these types of events and are more able to pick up on it um, You know, versus people who, who aren't sensitive?
1: I'd say like a psychic or a medium or just
0: Somebody's yeah, uh, in- I mean, maybe I'll I'll, I'll I'll phrase it like this: like the majority of times that I've heard about these things in my life, and I, I'm a novice on this subject, you know. Um, but I, you know, I often hear about children having these experiences. The the very first time okay. I ever heard somebody say something to me, like I, I had no sort of belief in, you know, any sort of event. Like I had I had no proof in my life. And I was a kid in Boy Scouts, and we had to take—it was some type of like badge or course or something. And we would go to a kid's house whose mom was like a group leader, and she taught us the course once a week. And then at the end of the six weeks or whatever, we got—it was I think it was a religious award. And you know, she was a trusted authority. I was a little kid, and this was an adult clearly smarter than me. And she told me a story about how her son, when he was a kid, was out in the backyard playing ball with something. And she saw him rolling the ball into the shed, not throwing it, rolling it, and then catching it like he was being tossed back to him. And and to me, this blew my mind because I was like, "Oh, she's dead serious. Like she she's serious about this and is probably right because she's an authority." And you know, since then, I've heard stories of kids, and and I wonder if. Maybe kids are more sensitive because they don't have their blockers up. They don't sort of—they're not sort of like blinded by disbelief. And I'm not downplaying science at all, but they're—they're not really knowledgeable on science yet, and so are maybe more open to these events, and therefore perhaps more sensitive to them happening. I don't know. Uh,
1: There's two thoughts on this. Uh, One thought is children are newer. To, to the world, newer to the earth So they're just fresh from the other side And they're not quite to the other end oh, With wow. one foot almost back into the grave uh, So one, one, one theory suggests that Because they're newer They haven't quite forgotten About that other side that they just came from
2: mm. So
1: that's one metaphysical theory to it uh, And the other is uh you know children for the most part haven't been browbeaten uh that ghosts aren't real this isn't real there's no monster in your bed there's nothing in your closet you know you're imagining things so I, as we grow up you know that that's the that's the constant that that we're fed so we we develop these beliefs that not real so there's always that constant block in your mind that kind of makes you dismiss these sort of things mm-hmm. so when you're more open or haven't been told or taught not to trust what you're seeing or hearing, then that might be one of the reasons why children seem to be more sensitive to that.
0: Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So let me take people back to your timeline. You, you go from an interest in this to having experiences yourself. How do you go to actually investigating these phenomena? (laughs)
1: uh well the the whole uh reason i got into it was i had basically by uh the year 2000 had read every book that i could get my hands on uh there wasn't any new stories out there i would buy a book and it would have repeating stories from another book in it and i would try to find stories about my local area and at the time You didn't have this huge reality show explosion. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of web resources still in in 2000. And uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to try and track down these stories because I know there has to be more stories out there than what's being published. And the whole original goal was to write a book of new stories. Uh, So that Got the thought process rolling. It's like, okay, so I want to write these stories. How do people find me? How do I find these people? So that's, uh, so about 2005 is when, uh, I was with a group of friends and I was, you know, kind of telling them what my idea was. And, uh, they're like, well, you know, well, what if we get to investigate, you know, these stories, you know, as well as collecting them? So, uh, that's when we came up with the name of uh, Paranormal Investigators of Northern Kentucky, or pink for short. And so that was the original goal, was to uh, launch a website and see if people would contact us and let us tell their story and eventually publish a book. Now, 15 years later, there still isn't a book, because about two years into this, I realized that, uh, the people that were contacting me were looking for answers like I was, but they were also looking for help. And uh, and when you start dealing with people on a very personal level, you start to realize that they're really going through these things, and it's emotionally affecting them and their family and their children. So it the mission of the team went from, oh, I want to write a book someday based off their stories to – I genuinely feel pain for these people and I want to help them and see if I can figure out what is happening in their home and see if I can give them some sort of relief from this anguish that they're going through. Uh, Because by the time people get to the point that they contact us, they're at their wit's end. They, you know, they've tried to dismiss everything that they could. Uh, So it becomes a lot of counseling to the People that are being affected by it, uh, and uh, it's a lot more rewarding in that aspect. Instead of you know going through and publishing somebody's story, uh, that I actually get the the opportunity to to help them on a very personal level that affects their everyday life.
0: Can you walk me through what an investigation looks like? What you're looking for, and what tools are at your disposal to try to sense a presence or something happening.
1: Okay, uh, so a case request will either come in through our email off of our website or it'll come through us off of our Facebook page on Messenger, and uh, I have a team now of about 15 people. Uh, so the the team structure, everybody has a specific function, and so the case request will go to our case manager who will call call them, talk to them over the phone, get the details of what's going on and set up a time to come out and do an on-site investigation. Um, so when we arrive, we'll have the client kind of brief this on, you know, things that have happened recently since the time that we initially spoke to them and have them give us a walkthrough of the house and, uh, kind of show us the lay of the land where everything is. And then, uh, decide where to place our cameras Uh, so we use right now we use a a DVR system Uh, so it's a four camera system but depending on the location of the house uh, you know it's usually maybe a three-bedroom home mostly is what we do is residential homes so a poor camera system usually works out fine because anything else we need to feel we need to cover, we do have some handheld cameras that, that we can set up remotely. Uh, but we can also run up to eight DVR cameras as well, depending on the size of the location. Uh, so what we're looking for there is anything that, you know, appears out of the ordinary. Uh, you can have the cleanest home in the world and homeowners are shocked by the amount of dust that they see in their houses uh, So aside from the cameras uh, we also do a uh, sweep of the house uh, with the electric magnetic field detector and we're looking for hot spots uh, places where the EMF field is particularly high. Uh, the reason we're doing this is a uh, prolonged exposure to high EM fields, And some people can cause auditory and visual hallucinations. Uh, Real quick, uh, one of the cases we did early on, uh, a little girl uh, would complain about seeing another little girl in her room. And this other little girl was always standing in the corner, always staring at her while she was sitting on her bed and doing her homework. And uh, so when we uh, checked out the, this was an apartment, when we checked out the apartment, Uh, I noticed that the uh, EM meters were really spiking high uh, by the light switch. So I traced the the electrical wiring down the wall and across the floor, and it went directly under the little girl's bed where she sat, and and that's where she always sat when she did her homework. And uh, so she's sitting there hours at a time and sleeping there and having this prolonged exposure to this. And that was really the only uh, thing that the family complained about, you know, that they ever said happened in their apartment. Uh, nobody else ever had any experiences or anything like that. And so the rest of the investigation, we didn't, you know, capture any voices, nothing strange on video. The only thing we really noticed was that electric line running across the floor. So I suggested to him that, you know, you, how about you move her bed to this wall over here and, uh, you know, just kind of change the layout of the room. And then, uh, so they did and they, you know, a few weeks go by and they message me back and say, Hey, uh, she's not having any more problems. Her behavior is a lot better. Uh, she's not saying she sees this thing anymore. And so it's been about 12 years. And, uh, usually when people have a reoccurrence, they, they let me know. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we do that EM suite. Uh, so a lot of people want to know why we turn off the lights when we investigate. And the reason we turn off the lights is we're trying to break the circuits in the house. So if there's a power surge, it's not going to spike a meter really high. Uh, so you're breaking that circuit on that light switch. Uh, and then you'll, you'll see a noticeable drop in the EM field when you do that. So, Constantly taking measurements throughout the night. So if we get a spike on a meter and we know there was no power surge, you know, the heat didn't kick on, the refrigerator didn't kick on. Can we trace this sudden blip we got back to something? And so we'll get these anomalous spikes and then we'll see if they coincide with uh maybe we got a, a voice on audio. Uh so we'll go back uh when we do the uh review of the uh, footage and the audio. We'll see if, you know, we got something that corresponds to that spike in the meter. So we're running audio, uh, digital audio the entire time we're on site. So we're talking about six different recorders running about eight hours of audio each. (laughs) it's It's a lot of audio to go through. Uh, uh, so Everybody, you know, tags the audio. If your stomach growls, you know, say your stomach growls because you don't realize how often it will growl when you're sitting quietly. And uh, a stomach gurgle on an, an audio recorder sounds very, very yeah. scary at times. Uh, so uh, we use uh, EM pumps. So uh, an EM pump is just uh, – they're uh, – It's like a small little box. They're they're built in-house. It's a motor that runs on a rare earth magnet. uh, Then it runs on a a battery. So the motor turns and uh, it produces, you know, electromagnetic field. Because part of the theory is that uh, spirits use that high EM energy to manifest and do what they want to do as well as trying to get a scare or a rise out of someone. Uh, So if there's activity in a specific spot uh we might put one of these boxes in that room and then close it up and just let it run for an hour or two before we go in there and uh you know after it's been in there and closed up and running you walk in you can really tell the difference you can kind of feel the thickness in the air when you walk in because you can tell that that thing's been putting out some some energy into that room uh you know we will use a spirit box if we need to which is uh, it's a small AM FM radio that's been altered to constantly scan the, the radio frequencies. So it's scanning uh, hundreds of frequencies every couple seconds and never stopping long enough to really get more than a, maybe a, a two-second blip from a radio. Uh, so if you get a DJ sound, you, you know what a DJ sounds like, speaking professionally on the air or a, a little blip of a song. So what we're looking for there are uh, voices that come through that uh, are more than just one or two words long. We're looking for like a sentence, something that's uh, prevalent to what we're asking, see if it's responding directly to us. Um, Then there's uh, thermal cameras that we use. Uh, We use uh, the SLS camera, the structured light sensor camera. Uh, that shoots out uh, thousands of pinpoints of infrared light. And when that light comes back to the sensor, it's programmed to detect, you know, the human form. Uh, So, and it'll draw a stick figure on the screen. And uh, what we're looking for there is, will the stick figure interact with us? If we ask it to raise an arm, will it raise an arm? Will it wave at us? Uh, Will it walk closer to us? And, you know, with anything, there are false positives as well especially with the SLS camera. Uh, because if you point that camera at say a dresser top with a TV sitting on top of it, it might think that that TV is a head and then the dresser top are shoulders and then it'll draw a stick figure right there. But when you get one of those, uh, false positives, that figure will always be a constant. It's always going to draw it. It's never going to interact with you. It's never going to wave at you. Uh, But uh, we've had some interesting uh, hits with that. Uh, We have a video up on our YouTube channel that shows a stick figure sitting at a desk chair. And it's got uh, one knee up in the air and it's got the other leg folded underneath itself. And uh, we uh, try to get it to interact with us and it slowly puts one foot on the ground. And then in a split second, it moves from the chair to the ladder to a bunk bed, and up the ladder it goes and disappears.
0: All right, so I have a question about that, because if you are able to determine that the wiring of the house is creating an electromagnetic surge, or that there's a cold spot in the house, and there's a scientific reason for it, I would imagine that that would, you know, cause some peace with the family, because they can say, okay, this wasn't necessarily something paranormal that was caused by an entity and the situation is now solved. But in a situation like that, if you determine that, hey, perhaps this is an entity, I would think that like, the goal the family wants is for this to stop. So how do you go about making that happen?
1: Uh, so in our web form, uh, we have a questionnaire and we ask the client, the question is, what's your ideal resolution? And uh, sometimes they will write, I just want to know I'm not crazy, or I want it to stop. So uh, when they say that they want it to stop, and we uh, determine based off audio or video what it is that we're dealing with. Uh, there's two ways to to look at it. You can look at it uh, from a religious point of view, and uh, or you can look at it at the, from a scientific point of view. Scientifically, there is no surefire way to get the activity to stop. Uh, is you know, it's, it's not Ghostbusters. We can't trap it and make it go away. <laughs> So we uh, talk to the client, and uh, we kind of feel them out how they look at it on a theological level. And I try to explain to them, like, you know, I think we're dealing with, you know, an earthbound spirit, somebody that used to be alive. So the best way to deal with them is to talk to them and kind of let them know that, hey— you know, you're, you're scaring us, you know, you might not be meaning to, but, you know, imagine, you know, a time when you were with your family in your house at night and you just want to rest and relax, you know, would you necessarily want something scaring you, whether intentional or not? Uh, so when we go back and do these reveals, uh, I try to have this one-on-one with whatever's there. And explain that to them. And, you know, then whether the client wants it or not, uh, so we'll use uh, like a smudging or a sage smoke uh, or a clearing. And what I do there is uh, I'll ask uh, God... To bless the sage smoke and to wherever the smoke goes to carry his blessing and the white light of heaven and wherever that smoke goes in the house carries that blessing with it and that no spirits can remain or hereby ask to be removed from the home. So when I try to have this one on one with whatever is there, you know, I explain this. I was like, you know, you can move on, you know, you can go to where you should be, uh, whether you see this light that was there for you or if it's still there or not or maybe there's a place that you can go where there's a light you know from somebody else that you can use to move move on to where you need to be so whether that's you know a funeral home or a nursing home or a hospital or somewhere where somebody's recently passed away uh but I also try to convince them that you know they can see their own light if they just kind of forgive themselves for whatever's keeping them there and then I explain that, you know I'm going to do this blessing with this sage, and uh, once I'm done, you're going to be moved from the walls of this house. And once you're moved from the walls of this house, you know this might be the only thing you know. you've been here for a while. You don't know what's going on out there. So the last thing I want to do is kick you out from what you know to put you in an unknown situation. So I want to help you move on first. And, uh, so hopefully they take my advice and, uh, then I'll do the, do the blessing, uh, depending on what the client wants. Mm. Uh, we have a pretty good success rate with it. Uh, we, we do run across some stubborn entities from time to time. Uh, Case in point, uh, we had a case in Ohio uh, where they were dealing with something that was, wasn't demonic. It wasn't mean or evil from that perspective, but it, they were dealing with a jerk, basically. And uh, we investigated their house, uh, I think, three times. And, uh, you know, we would do the blessing and everything would be quiet for a while. And then he would call me back and say, it's back. So I would have to ask them, you know, what's changing in the house, what's going on? Uh, He said, well, you know, my son enlisted and he moved out, but his girlfriend moved in with us and her and my daughter were talking and you know, the subject came up and they started talking about it. So it kind of invited it back in. It was kind of still hanging around the outside of the house. And so we went there the, the last time and uh, so I'm doing the blessing. And when we do the smudging, we always try to start at the lowest level of the house and work our way up. So the theory is you move the energy up and out. And uh, wherever we kind of determine where the hot spot is, where it likes to stick around, will you always save that room for last? So uh, we're working our way up to this house, through this house. And uh, I couldn't find myself to burn the sage in, you know, it kind of just kind of holds that heat in so you can hold it in your hand and it's not too bad. But they had given me one of those ashtrays and I'm talking those 1970s ashtrays where the glass is like three inches thick. So it's a pretty heavy duty ashtray. And um, we're getting up to that very last room and the heat of the ashtray wasn't bad at all because I could hold it in the palm of my hand, it's not burning my hand, it's not too hot. And all of a sudden, this glass asterisk explodes in my hand.
2: Whoa.
1: And uh, glass goes everywhere, slices my hand. And then the burning sage embers hit the floor. So we're trying to <laughs> stomp out little mini carpet fires. And the homeowner's standing right there when it all happens. And uh, so sometimes when you're doing these blessings, you get these distractions. Something will happen in the house. Something you'll get that loud bang or a slam or something like that, you know, because it wants you to stop what you're doing. So once we got the situation under control and the homeowner assured us that it was okay that they were replacing that carpet in the summer, anyways, when their daughter moved out. So uh, we just went right back to it and finished. And then about six months goes by and he emails me and he's like, hey, Uh, We took your advice. We're not talking about it. We're, you know, doing everything you told us to do and everything's fine. I just wanted you to know that. But my neighbor across the street is having problems. Oh. Who never had problems ever before. So we were thinking, oh, great. So we kicked it out of this guy's house and now it went to the neighbor's house. So, you know, that's why, you know, I tried to move them on, get them to where they need to be before they get bumped out. Because who knows where they're going to go pick up on next?
0: I mean, Mike, you're not getting paid for this. You're 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 doing a very noble calling of of trying to bring peace to people in right. a situation like that. That to me would terrify me. It shatters in your hand. You're bleeding. Maybe it didn't intentionally harm you. It tried to scare you, but you could have been harmed. Like, what if that stuck into your wrist or something? Like. Uh, what is where is your courage coming from? In like to, to not send you running and screaming from that house.
1: Uh, it's 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 experience. You know, early on. Uh, you know, I think in year three that I was doing this, I was sitting on a client's bed, and uh, all of a sudden, I felt fingertips trace their way up my shoulder and the next thing i knew it was going across the top of my head. Oh no no. <laughs> All right. So that scared me. And you know, i jump up and turn the lights on and i'm looking for i'm looking for a really large spider is what i'm really looking for. But uh, the more you do this, the the more you realize that if i get scared and jump and run then the client sees that and then they get scared. And I'm throwing out all this extra energy that these things feed off of. And the client's throwing off all that energy that these things feed off of. So over the course of the last 15 years, it's, I, I'm to the point where, you know, I'm not going to give them anything to work with. Uh, so we stomped out the fire. Uh, I still got a little scar here on my hand right there. Uh, And uh, I went and drank some Mountain Dew and 10 minutes later, back at it and finished up. Uh, You know, one of our most recent cases was about three weeks ago. uh, The client got really freaked out uh, because we couldn't explain what had happened. And, you know, and I'm just kind of sitting there taking in the situation. Uh, We were in her daughter's room and she had these LED lights, these these new LED lights that, you know, people put up in their rooms that kind of go around the perimeter and they change color or you can make them strobe or make them flash. And uh, all of a sudden just one particular section of these LED lights flashed like three times. And then another section on the other side of the room flashed. So we're looking for the remote for these lights And we eventually found that the remote for the lights was on the floor in between the bed and the wall. So there was nothing pressing up against it, making these lights come on. And that's the only way to control it is with these, with this remote. And, you know, the client kind of remarked to me like, that didn't scare you because she was shaking. She was terrified. All of a sudden these lights came on like that. And I tried to explain to her that, you know, I'm here for you. So I, I have to be, you know, the rock here, I have to be you know observe and be calm and reassuring. you know it doesn't do you any good if I go running from the room mm. so uh, it it's just it goes goes with experience you know when you when you're starting out and you don't know yeah you're you're going to get scared and you're in and that just kind of throws off that whole energy balance
0: do you keep any sort of statistic on the cases that you all have investigated turning out to be explained by, I guess what I would call natural causes versus cases that turn out to be an entity?
1: Uh, No official statistics, uh, but I will say we have more cases that yield something paranormal than don't. Wow. Only because, like I said earlier, by the time somebody contacts us, they've been dealing with this for a while. They've already taken all these steps, Uh, you know, because the first thing anybody ever says to us, you're going to think I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, I don't think you're crazy because I've heard a lot before. So definitely don't think you're crazy. Uh, But what we're going to do is uh, we're going to see if we can get to the bottom of it. Uh, You know we're up over 300 plus cases at this point. And, uh, I would say maybe about 50 of them. I know it's a high, not, you know, as far as not finding anything, you know, it's a very small number of cases. Mm. And, uh, and some people will say, well, that's just too many positive cases. You, You know, you got to be doing something wrong and it goes back to these people have been dealing with this stuff for a long time before they ever reach out to anybody
0: When I was a kid I was terrified by the Twilight Zone episode where the ventriloquist dummy is acting on its own accord outside of the ventriloquist's will Now obviously this is a show, it's sci-fi it's intended to scare you but that idea of an entity attaching itself to something physical is something that i've heard of before and i read a an interview with you and saw a very creepy picture of a doll that had an entity attached to it so i was wondering if you could tell that story and then explain if like to me i would think well i need to destroy this thing <laughs> like if that is an advisable solution or not
1: well, uh, I'll tell you the end story real quick. That doll actually did get destroyed, okay, <laughs> uh, but not by us. Um, so uh, the lady that contacted us, the doll was a gift to her stepdaughter, and uh, the, l- the little girl, you know, sat and talked to the doll a lot, and and never could really figure out why. And uh, so we went to this home to investigate, and we really weren't looking at this doll at all. We didn't, you know, sat there in the bedroom, and we didn't really think there was much to it other than the little girl really liked it. And as we're investigating, I have a thermal camera, and this doll is putting off a heat signature. And I'm watching this camera and it gets really, really strange because the heat signature off this doll is getting warmer and warmer and warmer and it's starting to spread out. So the ambient heat coming off of it is, you know, reaching out and it's beyond where the doll is. And there uh, it's summertime, so there's no heat coming out of the vents. Uh, There's no air coming out of the vents at all. There's no heat coming from the window. Uh, the lights have been off. This room has been dark all day, so the porcelain's not absorbing any heat from the light bulbs or anything like that. So the uh, it's it's really strange. We could not figure out why this doll is putting off this heat signature. And it wasn't that we walked in the room it was like, oh, the doll's glowing red. You know, it's picking up heat. It all of a sudden started glowing red it was instantaneous. It wasn't registering any heat at all. And then all of a sudden, boom, there, there it is. Uh, so we, uh, put some audio recorders down by the doll and we're, we're asking some questions and, uh, we get back a couple mail male responses around the doll. And, uh, and we we don't know this until you know later afterwards, when we're reviewing the audio. And uh, it was probably maybe seven days since we were there. The owner sends us a picture, and this doll, the the whole face is like cracked off. like some like somebody hit it, and just the whole entire face busted open. And it looked even creepier without half a page. Uh Supposedly, it was an accident and the doll got dropped. Uh, so the, I think the daughter may have dropped it and caused it to break or something like that. But afterwards, things kind of got a little creepier there in the house after that happened. And uh, so the owner's like, tomorrow's trash day. I'm just going to take this out and put it in the trash. I don't want it in my house anymore. And so she did. And, uh, her activity lessened. I'm not going to say it went away entirely. Uh, but, uh, there were some other really strange things that happened that night that I have no explanation for, uh, that totally didn't involve that doll at all. And that was, uh, like, uh, so you know a laser pointer light, mm-hmm. okay? So this is a blue dot the size of a laser pointer, right? And we're in the master bedroom, and one person sees this blue dot by the bed. Another person, a few minutes later, sees it in a different part of the room. And none of the equipment we have has a blue light. N- nothing has a blue light. And this blue light was seen in about five different places in that bedroom over the span of 10, 15 minutes. And we all at one point saw it or more than one person saw it in one particular spot. And we just could not explain what was going on with this light in this bedroom. Uh, Even now, it's been been about a year since we did that case. And I still don't have any explanations for the strange light.
0: That's creepy. (laughs) Um, Have you ever come across a situation where, I guess you would call it maybe a a possession, where an entity attached itself to a human?
1: Uh, One for sure, maybe twice. Uh, So in Highland Heights, Kentucky, which is uh, kind of a suburb of Cincinnati. Uh, it's about maybe eight miles from Cincinnati. Uh, we were contacted by, by a client and uh, went and, and spoke with him. And have you ever talked to somebody that all of a sudden they are so intense that you didn't know if they were going to take a swing at you from one second to the next? Oh, yeah. That's what it was like talking to this guy. Wow. Well. And uh, he told us that uh, he had been hearing voices all night, all day, and that he wasn't getting any sleep and uh, that he hadn't slept in so long. And it was just wearing him down, wearing him down, and then all these other things that were going on in his house. And uh, his boss calls him in into work one day and wants to know what's up with his productivity. You know, he's noticing a, a slip and a decline. So he decides to tell his boss what's going on. And his boss is concerned, so he kind of calls his wife and talks to his wife. And, you know, the boss is like, well, I kind of want you to go talk to somebody professional and see what they think. And so they went and talked... Uh, to a psychiatrist at a local hospital. And, uh, the doctor really thought that he was having schizophrenic episodes and, uh, and he was adamant that he wasn't, that these things were really, really happening in his house. And they kind of, him hauled back and forth. And he finally said, fine, I'll tell you what, I will do whatever treatment you want me to do, but let me have the opportunity to find somebody to come in and see if they can verify what it is that I'm going through, and that was kind of the deal that he made with his wife, so he contacts us, and uh, we go there for the investigation and uh we're talking to him, and I'm using a parabolic microphone, so it's you know a microphone with a little satellite dish on the end, headphones whole deal. And uh, this microphone's really sensitive. You know, you can hear up to 350 feet away. By I a tiptoe across the carpet and my socks, you could hear the carpet fibers smash down. So I'm, you know, sweeping the room and I'm starting at the left-hand corner of the room. And I'm working my way to the right-hand side of the room. And the client's kind of in the middle. And I don't hear anything. And I get to the client and I hear music. And I'm like, where's this music coming from? but I can't make out the type of music. It's not rock, it's not country, it's not pop. It's, it's not a music I recognize. So I go, okay. And so I just kept sweeping back towards the right side of the room and I don't hear anything. So I go back to the client and I hear the music. Now, Whoa. his uh, front room wall is facing the parking lot on the outside. There's no cars out there. He lives in a townhouse. And I said, are your neighbors home? He goes, well, the unit on this side of me over here to the left is vacant. And the unit on the other side, uh, they're on vacation this week. So, no, there's nobody home on either side. And so I look outside. There's no cars out there. Nobody's playing music. And I look at him and I say, do you hear music? And his eyes get really big. And he goes, yes. He goes, that is one of the ways they get to me. It's just music and voices all the time. So I said, okay. And, you know, he's standing there and you're talking to him, and it's like his eyes will blip. Like in a split second, you'll think that they're just jet black and then they're right back to normal. And his demeanor goes from very congenial to super intense. Like I said before, like, you you know, you don't know if this guy's going to take a swing at you. So uh we did our investigation and uh at the end of the night I you know, I was like, Do would you like us to smudge the house, bless the house in in and that? And he's like, Yeah, I would really like that. So we we did that and then I also smudged him. So you know, I started at the base of his feet and kind of work my way up and say the prayer and everything with the sage smoke. And after I'm done I asked him how he feels and he says, you know, I feel for the first time in a long time at peace. Like I feel really relaxed right now. So I said, okay. So we kind of left it at that. And then we go back home and then, you know, I'm listening to the audio. And I get to a particular piece of audio that kind of weirded me out. I had to put it down for about a day before I went back to it because, uh, I got this voice, and it's a very sing-songy voice. And it's a male voice, and it sings, Blood in the morrow, they mourn for you. And as far as EVPs go, it's very loud, very clear. And I play this clip when I do presentations around the area, and it's the only audio clip that I can play publicly because everything else we've recorded there, uh, is so vile and vulgar that I can't play it publicly. Uh, so, uh, you know, it talks about, uh, female body parts and, uh, what it wants to do to somebody. And one of the very last rooms that we staged that night was the bathroom. And, uh, before we get to the bathroom there's this piece of audio that says don't f with the bathroom and it's very clear and uh and the the tone of this voice was a lot more scary sounding a lot more commanding than what the other voices were that we got so based off the audio and then the demeanor of the client you know, we're discussing, you know, what is it, you know, are we dealing with something here that we're really not equipped to, to deal with? And uh, so one of our investigators knew uh, Father Bob Rodgers out of Melbourne, Kentucky. And at the time, he uh, dealt with exorcisms. and uh, was like the only one in the area that kind of dealt with that sort of stuff. So we contacted him, and I traded emails with him. And I sent him copies of all the audio that I had. And uh, so he's listening to the audio. And then I have another team member that uh, she would go home and pray for this family on her own. And you know she thought it would be the right thing to do is you know say a prayer for him. And when she would do that, things in her house would go crazy, and she would have all this flurry of activity in her house. And she spoke to Father Bob about this and he told her that she needed to stop praying for them because she was making herself a target. And Father Bob uh, agreed that uh, that this was a demonic entity attachment. And uh, so he took over for us as far as uh, counseling and, and that sort of thing. But in the meantime, I had gone back and showed them the audio and the evidence that we had and played it for them. And the client turns and he looks at his wife and he goes, see, I told you I wasn't crazy. Wow.
2: Yeah. So it
1: was a very intense situation. Uh, Last I heard, uh, they were still kind of Father Bob's trying to. You know, it's not like an overnight thing. You know, you got to change the way you think. You got to change the way you believe. You know, you have to want these things gone. And it's, it's a long process uh, as far as far as the church goes. Uh, so that one was uh, – that was about 10 years ago. And uh, we kind of left that one with them, uh, with, with the church to handle. Uh, but that one, that case always kind of sticks out of the at you because – you you always wonder, you know, how, how, how's he doing? I would imagine if, if it was still going on, he would say, Hey, this isn't working. Do you have another solution for me?
0: Did, did you look up that, that blood line that that almost sounds like poetic or biblical or something?
1: Uh, I don't know what to be a lyric to any song. Okay. Uh, and, and the voice itself, uh, kind of has a, I don't want to say a country or a sound to it, but that that's kind of the accent that it has when it doesn't mm. sing songy, which is nothing compared to the one talking about not messing with the bathroom. Um, So that one for sure, I think in in the 15 years I've been doing this, uh, you know, Father Bob says, hey, this is demonic. We got this. You guys don't don't worry about it. We got it. So I'm going to believe him. Uh, the other one was about two years ago, and uh, it involved a house where there was an actual murder in, in the house. And uh, so if if you want, if you can track down Haunting uh, in the Heartland, it was a series that aired on Travel Channel about a year ago because a uh, producer said was looking for story ideas, and they emailed me, and I suggested this case that we had worked. And uh, – you can kind of draw your own conclusions based off what you see in the episode. Uh, They brought their own crew in to investigate it. But uh, I have a piece of audio uh, where I'm talking to the homeowner and she's talking to us and she's like, yeah, this is going on, this is going on. And she says, I promise you. And after she says, I promise you, another voice comes in right on top of hers and it's real gruff sounding. And it says my soul. So it's like finishing her sentence i promise you my soul and it's very very eerie to, to listen to uh but she uh kind of spaced out on us twice during that investigation that night and uh the second time it happened uh because it happened the first time and we're like okay we need to get the handheld camera in case something is going on here something else is going on And I didn't tell her why I was getting this camera out. As far as she knew, that was just, you know, what we were doing. We were there investigating. And all of a sudden, she kind of spaces out on us again in mid-conversation. And she gets this real eerie look on her face. And uh, her eyes kind of squint. And her mouth kind of goes into a weird smile. And we're trying to talk to her. And she's not responding. And then she just kind of snaps out of it and goes right back into the conversation. And uh, we're like, you know, are you aware of what just happened? And she's like, no, what? As far as she knew, there was no pause in the conversation. Nothing, nothing had happened. Oh. And so this video is actually also available on our uh, YouTube page. So if you want to want to see her kind of space out on us, that's you can look at that as well.
0: Yeah, I'm going to, everyone listening knows you can go to whatever app you're in and I'll have a direct link to the YouTube page um Also, if you need to at any point, Mike, cut me off, uh, I'll try to wrap this after a few more questions, but this stuff is fascinating. So <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Um, in, in thinking about Kentucky, you know, I know that there's a, like a vast history here of mining in the of, of you know, mining for, for mineral ore in the eastern part of the state. And with mining comes, you know, a lot of tragedies, dangerous work there. Over the years, there's death. Um, I'm wondering, are there are there spots within Kentucky where there's a larger concentration of paranormal activities?
1: Uh, I don't know about statewide. I can tell you in my area, so I'm in northern Kentucky, so we're talking Boone County, Kenton County, Campbell County, Grant County. So we're, you know... We're just south of cincinnati we share the river with cincinnati uh, there is uh, a spot in burlington burlington kentucky which is the county seat for boone county and uh within a two mile square radius we've investigated probably 10 different locations so it's like a super concentrated area one specific part of the county uh, then, Do you have a, actually a, a theory very,
0: as to why?
1: Why? Um, I I know that uh, there was uh, some civil war uh, activity. Uh, okay. There was uh, so there's Tanner's Creek, uh, which was a supply route uh, for the Confederacy, but they also used Tanner's Creek because it uh, flows into the Ohio. It was also a route used by abolitionists to move uh, slaves into Indiana and Ohio. Uh, so there was always patrols going on through those areas. Uh, there weren't, in this particular area, there was only one minor skirmish as far as gunfire being traded between Union and Confederate uh, forces. Uh, but there was a lot of uh, underground railroad activity coming through the area. Uh, so... Uh, and then this, these concentrations, uh, of homes are, are really along that, uh, Tanners Creek, uh, area. So that could be mm. a possible reason. Uh, but then you also have, uh, I believe it's the Shawnee Indian tribe that would raid from Ohio into northern Kentucky when the settlers were first coming in. So there, there were uh, raids across the river, uh, and there were kidnappings, and they would take people, take settlers back across the river. Uh, so there was also that going on, which, so in this particular area, there a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of fighting was going on. Um, so that that could be a possible reason for these areas. Other than that, uh, I know one case in particular, uh, stemmed from something that happened in Florida, uh, family moved from Florida to Burlington and, uh, they had rented a house and there was a painting in this house that, uh, didn't necessarily belong to them and, but they liked it. So they took it with them when they moved and, uh, now they're in this new house and they're having all this weird stuff going on, these voices and and things disappearing and loud bangs and everything. And uh, a piece of audio we got back mentioned a painting. It, it said, put the painting back. And we're like, what painting? So we asked her about this painting and she's like, oh yeah, there's this painting over here that we took from the house in Florida. And we're like, well, what do you want to do with it? <laughs> and she's like, you know what? I should probably give it back. Uh, her husband was planning a trip back to Florida, and they did load it in the car and dropped it off at the former residence. And oh. uh, she emailed us a few months after that, and she goes, painting's delivered, and I don't have anything going on in my house anymore. So I, we, we can maybe explain that that part of Burlington had to do with the painting in the house. Um, I know uh one one house was maybe a mile away from that location, uh we got a male's voice in the basement uh and he indicated that he was a runaway slave. Uh Whoa. so and he was afraid uh, of the people that lived in the house because they thought he would they would find him because he was hiding in their basement. And, you know, and we're trying to talk to him and convince him that uh, that it was o- okay for him to, to not be in this basement. He didn't have to hide and, you know, and try to help him move on. But what was striking about that was their activity always picked up when they put their Christmas decorations out, and it's like uh, this this man who was hiding down there uh, really liked their Christmas decorations and made him feel happy, and because they were always moved, and uh, so it wasn't necessarily something evil or scary. It was this poor lost soul that was afraid of the people that he was more afraid of them than they were of him. And, you know, I was trying to talk him into crossing over and moving on, you know, because not only do I want to help people on our side, but, you know, I want to help the ones on the other side as well. Um, You know, nobody needs to be lost or stuck with nowhere to go or not feeling welcome. So I I really try to help both ends of the equation.
0: Whoa, that's, dude, that is really intense. (laughs) Wow. Um all right. I I'll I'll wrap with this one I guess. Um but you mentioned um uh indigenous folks, right? Native folks and native tribes here in the country and I was thinking before we were recording that a lot of those belief systems uh there are multiple spiritual entities and Often, especially if we're talking about indigenous people to the Americas, um you know, spiritual animals, have you and these are things I've heard like you know oh i felt a I felt like a cat brush up against me, you know, but but there was no cat there. Have you ever investigated um a, a paranormal event that turned out to be a non-human type of animal? um non-human type of animal we've recorded
1: growls uh-huh. uh but as far as a dog or a cat something beyond that i think we've been lucky enough to know <laughs> uh we actually did photograph a spectral cat at a location in, in covington kentucky in the basement of a coffee shop uh-huh. uh we uh have recorded uh, a dog uh, whining uh, in a house. And when I played it back to their owner, they're like, well, that's so-and-so that's our, I can't remember the dog's name. And they're like, well, where's the dog? And she's like, well, that's her urn right there. And that's where we recorded the sound of the dog was right next to its urn. Um, But as far as non-human, we've had people say, yes, there's a Bigfoot on our property but we have ghosts too, uh, we go, go there to check that out, but we kind of run into a situation that is not enviable to anyone.
2: <laughs>
1: so imagine driving uh, about an hour out into the country uh, to where the GPS coordinates for this location is not on the map, the road is not on the GPS it's a a gravel road so you're at least an hour and 20 minutes away from civilization and you're out there to investigate a claims of uh what they say is a bigfoot but they also have ghosts in their house and then the homeowner says at the last minute oh hey we have a wedding to go to so we're going to leave our friend here with you to let you in and when you get there that man is three sheets to the wind and it's kind of creepy. And uh, <laughs> so he takes us on a tour of this property. So it's a ranch style house. He is drunk as a skunk. And he takes us to the back part of the house where there is a dirt path. And he's like, well, we see the thing down in here. And there's an old foundation of a house back here in the woods. So we're going to walk down this way. So the team and I are following this guy into the woods, and the first thing you see is a pond about the size of a small house, and in the middle of this pond is a sailboat just kind of floating there. And uh, the next thing you see is a camper trailer with these lights, like party lights strung up on it. So the lights are glowing and there's a ripped and torn awning, but there's no lights on in this camper trailer. And then across the path from that is a second trailer. The lights are on in that one. And then there's a third trailer and a fourth camper trailer. And we're like, what is going on with all these camper trailers littering this dark dirt path going into the woods? And... So we're following this guy, and he's telling us where they see this Bigfoot thing. And we get finally probably a quarter mile into the woods where he shows us the foundation of this old house. And we're like, okay, we've seen enough out here. (laughs) Let's go back because the creep factor is really starting to set in. Yeah. And uh, so we circle back around the path. And we're walking briskly past these campers because we don't know who or what, if anything, is in these campers. So we go in to the house and we're setting up the equipment. Um, everybody has one eye on the drunk man. And then he's like, hey, do you all want to go back out and check out that uh, foundation of that house? And we're like no, and then the the girls that were with us, he's only talking to them, he's trying to talk them into getting in the little jeep and driving back into the woods to look at the foundation of this house.
0: Whoa!
1: And we're like no. <laughs> uh,
0: so were they? Did they? They were trying to set you up or something? Like to? I
1: don't. I I don't know. Uh. Uh, then
0: he disappears,
1: and we're like where did a creepy guy go? And we found him passed out in a bedroom. So I'm uh, like, okay, maybe we can investigate if he's passed out. And uh, then about an hour later, the phone starts ringing, the house phone, landline. And we're like, well, you know, we don't live here. We're not answering this phone. And he storms out of the bedroom and screams, somebody answer the effing phone. Whoa. And we're like, that's it, we're we're done. <laughs> See you later, no ghost, no bigfoot, we're not coming back. Yeah, uh, so we will investigate claims if somebody says they have <laughs> a, a not human or natural creature, but uh, the one time that we did go to investigate, we ran into something of Yeah far scarier. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, all right. I'm going to send everyone to the website and the YouTube account so they they can learn a little bit more and check the, check out some of the stories that we've been talking about. Um, Mike, thank you uh, for indulging me. This is utterly fascinating to me, and um, you know I, I'm really grateful for the time. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you had me on. Uh, you know, if you ever want me back, I'd be more than happy to talk some more. Uh, so, yeah, it was great. I had a great time.
0: Cool. Um, thanks so much. Hey, everyone. That is a wrap on episode 213 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks, Mike. This was fascinating for me and really, really cool. I'm so excited to be on the road. And recording in Voyagers. I'll have more episodes coming to you from Kentucky very soon after this one. So please stay tuned. Remember that subscribing and following and liking and rating, those all go a long way towards getting me into like other people's algorithms. Whenever you hear or whenever you look at a podcast or even a song and it'll say, you know, recommended because you listen to this other thing. Doing all of the aforementioned things that I just said will get me into those algorithms. So if you liked this one or you liked other episodes, please tell a friend, like, review, subscribe. Okay, Voyagers, thanks for tuning in. And as always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon.